Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Dafa Shavua as we study Meseches Ksubos. Those of you that were with us for uh, Meseches Yavamos, seems like a long time ago, uh, a lot of this Gemara <coughs> should sound familiar, especially when we're discussing whether Ksuba is Drabanan or Dereisa. I know there are new people joining us from Meseches Ksubos. So I just want to give you some highlights of this discussion without going through all the sources as we spent a lot of time on this in Meseches Yevamos. There are practical differences about whether Aksuba is Durabanan or whether it's Daraisa. The most practical difference is what do you write in the Ksuba? And just to show you how practical that is, if you look at Tosvos, who's in the top of uh, our daf, who assumes this is a daraisa, one of the proofs that he brings is from the document itself. So clearly the document that is used and has been used in Jewish history says something. Whether it has a source or not in the Torah is an interesting discussion that we uh, covered back uh, in Mesechus Yivamos. There is some allusion to it based on a pasuk that says Mohar, which sounds like a uh, ksuba. But I just wanted to focus on the fact how what is in use, what's the minhag, what's the practice, could actually be a reflection of a halacha. Now, there is a difference of opinion here. And again, I'm going to explain to you the practical difference, which is going to come way around to this issue of the ksuba. The general view that you're going to find in most Rishonim, and it's the minhag, or the practice, or maybe even the halacha, in the Ashkenazi community, is that it is a deraisa. Again, you have machlokas here between Rabbi Gamliel and the Chachamim. The general rule, I just want to throw this in, is that when you have the majority, you're going to follow the Chachamim. There are some exceptions to it. One of the exceptions is if you have Rabbi Gamliel in a Mishnah, and much of these halachas are coming out of Mishnah, even though it's not explicit, because then you probably wouldn't have a difference of opinion. So in our ksubos, we say da'oraisa. Now, is it possible that you could say da'oraisa and it's really just an asmachta, which is not a pure da'oraisa? Is it possible, as we pointed out in Masechus Yivamos, that the general concept is Daraisa, but some of the applications are Darabanan. And then you have a problem with the Rambam, because the Rambam in general is going to hold that it's Darabanan. He seems to say that in many places, but you also have when he introduces the Hilchazishas, he talks about it being Daraisa. So the bottom line is, and this was uh, practical to me as recently as this week, when I was dealing with a uh, wedding of a Sephardic person, it doesn't say anything about Daraisa in the Ksuba. And I think I discussed this as well in Mesechus um, Yivamas, right? I've had the chance a few times. I was never Masadic Kedushin of a Sephardi male, but I've had to read the Ksuba, and that's a big distinction. It does it say Daraisa? Or does it just not say Daraisa? 
I remember discussing this with a Rav who said it should say straight out the Rabbanan, but I think in general it just doesn't say Daraisa. That's the way uh, that we go. Now, what would be the reason for this? Why would the Drabanan point out Aksuba, the, the need for Aksuba? So we pointed out, learning back in Masechus Yuvamas, two reasons. The Rambam brings down, it's a question of not making it easy for the guy to walk out on the marriage. That somehow the Ksuba itself is a sign. Now, our Ksubos actually have three elements to them, which we're not going to go over now. There's the main part of the ksuba. That's when we deal with either the 100 or the 200, depending on the status of the woman. There's the nadunya. There's something called tosefis ksuba. So somehow, even though we're not talking here about a tremendous amount of money, maybe 20000 30000 50000 maybe less, maybe more. Again, it's a lot of money, but it doesn't seem to be enough of a reason that a person would walk out on a, would keep a person in a marriage because they don't want to owe the money, but that's one application. And we explained it back then. It's not just a question of walking out or not walking out. It's like to reinforce how serious this relationship is, and there shouldn't be any spontaneous uh, decision making. The other reason that's given, which is also brought down by the Sefer Achinuch, is it's a question of. The, it's also about the seriousness, but the way I explained it back then, it's part of the process. Because remember, before Matan Torah, marriage didn't really have a process. You meet someone outside, out, and you, you, you said, I want to marry you. She says, yes. Mazel tov. Once uh, the Torah was given, there was more seriousness and more process. Process is a reflection of the seriousness of marriage in different stages. Arison. Nisuin. We even have an earlier stage called Shiduchin, and the Ksuba fits into this. The more process that you put in shows the seriousness of what one is getting into. So it really the seriousness of the relationship comes from both explanations, but this one is more focused, the second of the Chinuch is more focused on how you get into the relationship and the view of uh, the Rambam would be more on how one exits the relationship. The Chinuch brings down a pasuk, it's based on the Gemara, that a relationship with the Adik Suba would be like a Znus, which sounds a lot like some of the institutions that were put into place by Rav. Remember, Rav says if you end up getting married, Arison with Bia, that's bad news, even though technically it's okay. If you end up having Arison without an earlier stage called Shiduchin of the couple getting to know each other, that's also problematic. And in fact, Rabbi Salavechik, I'm recording this before Parshas told us, but soon after Parshas Chayisara, the Rav brings the whole story down where Yitzchak brings Rivka into the tent. They weren't married yet, but that was part of the getting to know each other period. He had to get to know Rivka, which is pretty incredible because even with Avraham choosing Rivka, there still was a need for a buy-in in some what of a getting-to-know period. We see uh, Rav Nachman plays a very important role in this Gemara, as well as last week. We have a case where someone comes to Rav Nachman 
And he says, Pesach uh, Pesuach Mosasi. I guess Rav Nachman over here is acting as, as a Besdin. So the wedding is Wednesday night, comes to Thursday and says this woman was uh, at least being accused of possibly not being a Besula. So Rav Nachman responds to the guy and he says, how are you such an expert? And he gives the guy Malchus. This Malchus is what's called Malchus Mardus. Now the obvious question, this is what the Gemara says, we learned last week that Rav Nachman was the person who said that the guy has Nemanus. At least enough Nemanus to create Svekos, doubts. So the Gemara gives two answers. One answer is that both are true. The bottom line is he does have a Taina, but at the same time he's a Manovo. He shouldn't be such an expert in the anatomy of a woman if he's never had relations with her before. You see a certain moral aspect to the Gemara, which is very much, as we've been explaining, part of a Hilchus And then the second answer, which is actually brought down by the Ramah in Simon Samaches, where these halachas are found, that if he's a Bachar, which means he's never been married before, and I just want to point out, going back to the first discussion, before a wedding, a person is called the Bachar even if he's 30 years old or 40 years old. You know, that's not like necessarily a term for a guy learning yeshiva. And once you're already married, then you get the status of being a chassan, at least in the first year. It should have some impact on the ksuba. When I'm in charge of writing a ksuba, since you're accepting these responsibilities before marriage, then the masara that I have is to write bachar. Many times you'll see chassan. Again, it doesn't mean it's a problem in the ksuba, but it's better to write bachar. So the Ramah comes along and he says, if this guy is a bachar lo, then he's, his Pesach Pesuach Masasi is not able to take away money from this woman. Now, it's an interesting question, which I haven't yet totally resolved. How about when it comes to Shavi Nafshe Dechaticha Disura? Is it enough to create an Isser for him? Assuming that, let's say, we're going to one of the two cases last week where we said it would be enough of a um, way to create an Isser for oneself. I think the halacha yes would be yes, but it wouldn't be enough to be able to take away Harksuba, which, as Argamar says, even though it's his taina and he has no proof to it, but it's not the normal way a person is going to function, right? The Gemara's formulation, and this is brought down la halacha as well, is that you don't just go and, you know, straight from the su'uda to start making uh, tainas on a person's uh, virginity. It's not the most romantic type of thing to do, so it must really be that it was a Pesach Pesuch Masasi. The, the Lashon of the tour which is exactly um, what we established, la'halacha, is the chazaka in adam tarech besuda umafsida. It's taken straight out of our Gemara. That a person has a chazaka, that he's not going to bother with the whole suda, go through the whole wedding. We don't just mean here the wedding, but the whole getting married. And then the next day he's going to try to take the money away from uh, his wife. Now, it's interesting when the Torah brings us down la'halacha, it's Vidavka Shahi, it's a situation, Shahi Machashisas, where she is able to respond to him, Vomeris Shematsa Basula.
Oshosekes. But if Eomeris Tachtov Nenasti, but if he says, you know what, I was raped while I was uh, with this guy, which means already after the Erisin, and he says, Kodem Lechein Nensa, Oachakach Nivolabamezid, then she's believed, and we're not going to take away the Ksuba. So these halachas are very uh, detailed, obviously. But going back to our case, which is the Shulchanar, the Ramah Paskins, like uh, the second opinion in the Gemara, that a Bachar is not able to say Pesach Pesach Masasi to take away her money, right? To to take a Ksuba from 200 down to 100, because that's what the Ksuba is. If uh, the woman is a Ba'ula, she's already had relations. But the Rambam, as I pointed out, or just the Shulchan Aruch, is silent on this, which the assumption that they're making is whether it's a Bachor or whether it's a Nasui. And that's brought down by the Chalkas Machokek, who I spoke about last week in Simasamaches Sifkaton Zion. He says, that even though the Rambam doesn't make the difference between a Bachor and a Nasui, Either way, he's believed. The sphere laid to Afbach or Mehemin, but Mikal Makam Raya which is the first opinion over here. Still, the guy shouldn't be so aware of these situations as a Bachar, and therefore you end up giving him Malkus. Now, again, whether you give him Malkus or not isn't the issue. The issue is as far as his knowledge. Now, this doesn't mean that a couple's not supposed to be prepared with the uh, lessons of a woman's anatomy or a man's anatomy. But as far as being the expert, that's where the uh, warning comes from. When you look at the Gemara and some of these uh, stories, they sound like they're all independent from each other. However, when you look into the Rambam, Hilchas Ishos, Perak Yud Aleph, Halach Yud Beis, Shulchan Aruch, Evan Ezra, it's a little bit, it's presented in a bit of a different way. And it's taking all these stories and integrating them into halacha. What happens in each case is what's known as tanas damim. This is the way it's presented in halacha. Tanas damim is not the same as Pesach Batsuach Matsasi. Tanas damim is the guy's claiming that there was no dam. And therefore, she is not a basula, and either she was with someone, or if that's not the taina, then the taina is, I don't want to pay a hundred. You know, I don't want to pay two hundred. I should only pay one hundred. Now, all of this, as is presented by the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch, is the response of Bezdin, which means Bezdin is going to try to find any possible excuse that of why she's not bleeding. Maybe she comes from a family that doesn't bleed. Maybe she's sick. And what the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch say is it's Bezdin's role to make every single possible reason to figure out whether she really is a, has damim or not. And we don't want to have a situation where her not having damim was because, not having dam is a reflection of her sinning. So just to show you halacha, when the Rambam brings us down, Hichus Ishus Perak Yud Aleph Halacha Beis, at the very end of our Gemara, Daf Yud Beis, we had a situation where the guy says to Rebbe, Ba'alti v'lo matzasi dam, 
And she says to him, Rebbe, Adayin Basula Hayisi. The reason why I didn't bleed was because these were Ushnei B'tzuras Have. We've been going through years where there's famine in the community. What happens? Rebbe feeds the woman and gives her food, gives her drink, washes her up because he noticed that uh, she looked very weak. And then, sure enough, the man has beer with her and there's dam and there's blood. So the whole taina from him ends up going away. Now, I saw an article last week. That's why this Gemara really struck me. And uh, you, you talk about something in the last hundred years ago. During the Shoah, this was an article in Times of Israel, but you could find this a number of years ago. I found it in Psychology Today and in other journals. There was uh, what's called the mystery of lost periods during the Holocaust. 98% of women in concentration camps did not uh, bleed. How did that end up happening? And you see the relationship here with the Gemara. The basic assumption, and I looked this up on Yad Vashem's website as well, it was due to stress and especially malnutrition. But there's also a number of women who claim, and there's a lot of people who support this, that they were induced with some type of hormone treatment, which means they were given some type of uh, treatment by the Nazis who, you know, had no problems messing around with uh, scientific experiments. And many women, even after the Shoah, were not able to have children. And uh, yeah, I don't need to go through the whole article, but there are witnesses who saw them putting some type of uh, white powder into the soup. But going back to our Gemara, this is uh, the issue that comes up, that at times of Bitsaris, times of stress, malnutrition, maybe anxiety, they're all different possibilities that are brought up. A woman is getting married, but doesn't mean that she is a Baula, even if she doesn't end up having Dom. And we saw that whole family that was in uh, such a situation. Now, there's a very troubling question that's uh, found in the Chashuk Echemet on this Gemara. I just want to mention it briefly, and uh, maybe we'll have a chance to go through it in further detail as the Masechta develops. So here's the case. So there was a woman, there was a woman who was, didn't have her periods, and she didn't inform the chassan of this. This we're talking about in contemporary times. What happens? She ends up getting married, and you find they find out that not only does she not bleed, she doesn't even have a womb. So it's impossible for her to have a child. Now, in this situation, there's a whole question about whether the Kiddushin is even valid. The guy could claim this is a Mekachtos. Mekachtos literally means it's a uh, false purchase. It was a purchase made under a faulty assumption. It sounds like a business transaction gone bad, and this is discussed in uh, Yavamis. We learned this in Daf Samachay Now, the, 
I just want to make a very important point, there are times where someone wants to get out of a marriage, and even the couple's divorced, and then she meets a Kohen. Now you have a problem, because the divorcee can't marry Kohen. So sometimes they'll try to argue the guy's not really a Kohen, and you have to investigate that. Sometimes she'll argue that the first marriage was really a Mekachtos. This has to be decided by real Gedolim. Some of the arguments of Mekachtos will be, he hid things from me, such as in this situation that's presented. Sometimes they'll say, the guy never told me um, that he was an alcoholic. The guy never told me, that he was abusive. Or other types of things that come out. And big Gedolim could paskin. Remember, we have the whole, that's Mekachtos, which means you don't even have to be Mafkia the Kiddushin, you're basically saying there was no Kiddushin. Now, why isn't this enough to take care of every issue, such as the Aguna issue? Well, that would work with Tafkina de Rabbanon, which we already discussed, but it would have to be the type of case where the Chachamim had the power to do so. Now, what ended up happening in this case that makes it, I'd say, interesting, even troubling, aside from the marriage issue, the Kala wants to know, and here's a Kala who's coming, apparently, with this righteousness, and she wants to know, okay, I tricked the guy. It's true, it was a mekachtos, and we're not married, I guess what you call an annulment. The Kala says, am I now obligated to pay the chassan for all the wedding expenses? Because you see, one thing leads to the other. Stay tuned, because we have uh, an answer to this question. Have a great week of learning.